da da da, and then like you're in the jeep and you're just like splashing around in the mud, and there's this like beautiful dinosaur just walking past you, and you're like. It's just epic. Like, that rolls you in, and you're there, and you're like, this is Jurassic Park. I'm obsessed. I want to go to Universal Studios so bad. (laughs) That's the next best thing. Get on the ride. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Lights, Camera, Cocktails. (laughs) I am the... Dr. Zenobia Bracey. <laughs> you remember mine? I am a doctor who's been in this situation, a paleontology, who's been in this shit before, and nobody listens to me. I got a daughter that's not my skin color, <laughs> but I love her anyway, Zenobia. <laughs> uh, and I am the tiny hand tyrannosaurus rex searching for those bad fellows who stole my t-rex <laughs> baby <laughs> um messing shit up lenny oh <laughs> and here on lights camera cocktails, cocktails. we pair amazing cocktails, cocktails. with Amazing movies. <laughs> and tonight is no different. <laughs> tonight is like prehistorically different. Yes, we are doing <laughs> a part two to a movie we've already did the part one to. It's true. This is the second time we're doing a sequel to a movie that we've already seen. Our final sequel of the month. Which we are watching the Lost World Jurassic Park. We're too much. We're too much. We're doing the Lost World Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park, baby. But, you know, before we are extinct, I'm ready to drink. So tonight, girl, you know what we're drinking? What we drinking? The baby T-Rex. Oh, because the... (laughs) You better wake it up or its mom's not going to know. She's like, wake up, baby, wake Wake up. up. Wake up. She's so doped out. Yeah, you gave it too much. So we thought it'd be really refreshing and delicious to put a little vanilla vodka. Because you know us, we love our vanilla vodka. So there's going to (laughs) be... Yeah, no big deal. So there's 1.5 ounces of vanilla vodka. Then we added 1.5 ounces of pineapple juice. That's right. Yep. Then add a 0.5 of the blue curacao. And then shake it on up in your shaker. Shake it. Shake it like a follow right bitch. And then pour it over into a rocks glass uh, served on ice. You can use the ice in the shaker, or if you want to be a little bougie, get fresh ice. Oh, I'm then, bougie. Yeah, you are, girl. And then you go ahead and you take a sip. Ready? Mm-hmm. Here's a toast to our prehistoric monsters, creatures, 
our lovers, our dinosaurs. How I miss you. I wish you were real. Cheers. Cheers. Everyone up, get on the floor. Everybody do the dinosaur. Mm. Uh -uh. Baby T. Baby T Rex, is that what you said? This is good. Yes, I like the colors. I love the color. It gives it off the aqua this is, greenish bluish vibe. That is absolutely my favorite color, so I'm all about it. The vanilla vodka, which is something I did not know if it was going to work, but it definitely adds a little bit of something something to it. This drink that like feels very tropical with the blue carousel and the the um, pineapple juice, but that mm. vanilla though, I like yeah. it. I it like makes it really smooth and innocent. Mm -hmm. I really like it. I think it tastes like a marshmallow. I get that. I, you I get you that. taste it? Do you taste it? I get that, yeah. I'm getting like that marshmallow. Like It's weird that it makes it feel creamy too. The... I think it's the pineapple and then the taste of the vanilla. Especially when you shake it, it kind of came out a little foamy. It came out foamy, and I liked yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Oh. All right. Well. I'm, I'm about it. I'm about it, too. So are you ready, girl, for a little bit of history? You know I'm ready. So tonight, I wanted to talk a little bit about the pineapple. Ooh. Ooh. You know, an ingredient that we use a lot in our cocktails. Uh, we don't really talk about it too much classically was discovered in the 17th century. I mean, obviously it's native to a lot of countries and people have been drinking it and eating it since, you know, it's been in existence, but it didn't show up in two cocktails too much until like the 17th century, which I thought was really, really cool. Oh. Uh, yeah, most of the time uh, people saw it introduced a lot with rum uh, because it was so involved in a lot of tropical islands. Hawaii is the dominant producer of pineapples, obviously, yep. uh, as we know. But you can also get them in Costa Rica, Brazil, the Philippines, and you can basically grow them in any tropical climate. My mother has tons of bushes in Florida. Zenobia is attempting to grow her pineapples right now. And <laughs> This is my third California. dead pineapple, you guys. Zenobia sucks. I wasn't really going to tell him, but, you know. <laughs> Maybe because I'm drunk while I do it. I don't know. <laughs> now, what I thought was really, really interesting is when I was looking into the history and understanding it within cocktails, I didn't know this, but pineapple itself is naturally an alcoholic juice. Now, the content of alcohol is so small that you actually don't even know that it contains alcohol in it, and they don't even have to advertise it because there's the alcohol content is like below 0.1, so they don't even have to record it. But it's because there's a natural occurrence that happens within the pineapple juice that yeast forms within the juice from the actual like actual plant, actual fruit. The yeast, with all of that sugar, slowly starts to ferment and creates its own alcohol content. Wow. So I if know. I just let it sit, it'll turn into some... If you just let it sit and sit and sit, it would, yeah, it would start to get moderately alcoholic. Now, here's the problem, though. If you let it sit for too long in the process and you don't add some kind of preservative to stop it and make it stay like the sweet, cocked, the sweet juice that we have now, it turns into vinegar. A pineapple vinegar. Uh, okay. Okay. Isn't that really, really weird? All right. Pineapple. I did not know. 
I know. And a lot of people actually, um, when they're making their own pineapple juices, will tend to throw in the pineapple's peels. It's this uh, Mexican drink where you take the pineapple peels and you soak them. Uh, it creates this concentrated pineapple juice that people will serve all over all over the country. And uh, yeah, it also contains an alcohol content. It, it won't get you drunk because it's a very low alcohol content, but it's a pretty popular drink. Wow. Okay. I know a little bit of a little bit of pineapple for you, and also it has so many like healthy properties to it. Pineapple is really good for your gums if you're trying to like get any kind of infection out. Chew a lot of pineapple. It actually softens up your mouth a little bit. If you ever notice if you eat too much pineapple, it feels like really yeah, ugly. it gets too raw. Yep, it's because it's breaking down a lot of that bacteria and stuff in your mouth. And then also, it's uh, got properties that when you ingest it, it makes your bodily fluids taste better. Oh, men, hello. And women. And women, hello, everybody. They say that if you drink uh, pineapple juice two hours before any kind of... uh, fun times that your bodily fluids will taste sweeter and better and it'll cleanse you what oh my god ladies and gentlemen if you know you got a booty call coming up in two hours go grab yourself some pineapple juice (laughs) i love it so that's a little bit of her story about your pineapples baby Ooh, check out those girls pineapples ow I have I have one uh, hard street fact about yeah, pineapples real on. quick. Okay, so um, pineapple is a symbol of returning home for sailors back in the day. So when a sailor would come home uh, and to let everybody in the neighborhood know that he had returned from wherever uh-huh. he had traveled, he would bring a pineapple and he would put it out in front of his house. So everybody would be like, oh shit, he home. Or he would bring the pineapple to his wife as like, hey, girl, I'm back. So the next time you see one of your loved ones after so long of all of us being apart, bring him a pineapple and tell him that. Yeah, that is so sweet. (laughs) You better bring me a fucking pineapple the next time I see it. Ooh, okay. Herstory times two, because baby, that's how we do. Oh, yes. Are you ready? I'm ready. For the motherfucking drinking game. Yes. Okay. So, you going to take a sample when you see a dinosaur. <laughs> I'm trying to get you drunk. Yeah, you are, girl. <laughs> I love that. So, you going to take a sample. When someone doesn't listen to Ian. So, hey, you want some good parental advice? Don't listen to me. So, uh, this is literally any time Oh my speaks. God, everybody doesn't listen to Dr. Ian Malcolm. The poor so, man. <laughs> so when he goes and he, they ask him for the job, and he's like, no, I'm not going. Because this is like a, a death sentence. I'm not trying to go. And now he has to do a, suit, a, a fucking rescue mission to save his girl. Because you sent this girl there. You sent my girlfriend to this island alone? Girl there. And I told you not to send any of these. I told you not to send anybody anywhere near these things. I synced it. I synced it with my eyes. I almost died. I know. Oh, my God. Jeff Goldblum, you guys. 
No, I thought he was cute in the first one, but that like mullet thing was a little, you know, it's not my. Oh, no, I loved it. I loved every bit of it. No, but part two, peak hotness, Jeff Goldblum, like, Mm -hmm. oh, my God. I was just Mm -hmm. drooling all week looking at it. I was like, damn, I forgot you were so goddamn fine. I mean, Every single time someone doesn't listen to Dr. Ian Malcolm, we take a drink because he's brilliant. He's well, yeah. a brilliant mathematician and physics and what else? I mean, his, his credentials keep on going on and on. But nobody wants to listen to him. Not even his girlfriend, not his daughter, not Vince Vaughn. Nobody. Nobody wants to listen to him. And you know what? You're going to take a cent for all of the people who don't be listening. <laughs> um, You're going to take a cent when... Sarah's lucky pack is seen. So where he's like looking at it and has like a hole in it. He's like, what the fuck? Oh no, that's my lucky pack. That's how it always looks. Hole in He's like, what the fuck? Or like when they, she almost, he's, he's like looking for her. And then like, or where she was about to fall through the glass. Oh my God. And they grab it. She grabs it. They both grab it at the same time. You're like, oh my God, lucky pack. And he's like, oh, <laughs> lucky, your lucky pack. Yeah, girl. Your lucky pack. And isn't it to protect her when the Velociraptor jumps on her back? Mm-hmm. And it, like, rips. That's actually the last time you see the lucky pack is it rips off her back, and it's the only thing that saves her. It's amazing. Lucky pack. Everybody should have a lucky pack. Yep. I got my lucky pack right here. I can see mine is right over there. <laughs> I had to replace I had to replace my strap to my lucky pack because it ripped once. It mine saved my life. has never ripped. It is in a phenomenal shape. I don't know how the hell through all the shit that this bag has gone through that it is in such great shape, but it is. Okay. You gonna take a sip when someone gets killed. So this is when the dude gets a snake going down his shirt and he's scared more of the snake than the fucking Tyrannosaurus Rex on the other side of the waterfall. You gonna take a sip. When that bastard-ass dude is mean to the little whatever the dinosaurs' names are, and then they come... Not polite to sneak up on people. And then they come back and they chase him down till they fucking eat him. You know, fucking... Take a sip. Take a sip. When they be plucking him out through the tall grass. Velociraptors, Take a sip. <laughs> All of them. When the homie who tried to save them with the car during the rain. Hey, guys, what do you need? We need rope. Rope? What? Oh, anything else? Yeah. Three double cheeseburgers with everything. No onions on mine. Three double cheeseburgers. in the rain gets like torn to pieces, pieces by the Tyrannosaurus Rexes. Oh my God, that was so cool, right? Take a sample. That was pretty cool. <laughs> so cool. There's quite a few deaths. Eddie's is my hardest. Yeah, that one is the saddest one. Pour one out for your homies in those dead homies in your mouth for that one. So you got it. Oh, you gonna take a simp when Nick has a cam- a different camera in his hand or a camera in general. Yes! Anytime he has a camera in his hand, you gonna take a simp. So classic. Ooh, and he catches. I think me. I should tell you guys. Hammond told me these people might show up. I thought we'd be finished by the time they got started, but. In case they weren't, he did send a backup plan. What backup plan? Me. Me. He, he pulls out the cutter to the locks and you're like, oh, damn, I thought it was going to be a camera. <laughs> Vince Vaughn, you ain't no badass. That's pretty funny, though. 
But he says that I laugh every time. I'm like, you, you're the reinforcement. I mean, yeah. he did fuck their shit up. So I, I, I do get, yeah. Oh, he does all right. He, he does. does all right. But that just still makes me laugh. Ben's fine. Ben's fine. Okay. You gonna take a simp. Take a simp. When someone's, <laughs> you gonna take a simp. When someone screams from terror or pain. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Ah, that's how it always starts. But then later there's running and, and screaming. The best line at the very end, when he's, uh, she's like, how do we find the adults? Follow the screams. Yep. And then you just look and the lady's just screaming <laughs> and reversing her car down the street. Anytime anyone does anything. The parents screaming. The parents. The parents who are like blaming they everything even to, listen from to the this fish tank. Kid. To the... You fed them too too late. All of the screams. There's tons of them. Follow the screams with a simp. So you gonna uh, take a simp when a dinosaur name is said. So anytime they say a Velociraptor or a Tyrannosaurus Rex or a I don't know. You're a dinosaur person. What else they say? Well, I always thought it was really funny because, like, he doesn't say uh, Parasaurus Lapis, which he calls it the Elvis. <laughs> like, I love that the main hunter guy, like, doesn't actually know any other names. He keeps on calling them, like, really funny. Like, uh, when he says the the Pachisafal, it's the helmet head, a friar tuck, he called him. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, the Stegosaurus... Camsomnolos, uh, those are those t- tiny little ones that were like pecking and ca- like eating the guy. The ones that killed the little girl, did she die? She doesn't she die, die, but I believe that she probably has to have extensive plastic surgery after that. Because if I know anything about dinosaurs, they have a very keen sense of smell, so they probably smelled the fact that the food was on her lips. So that's the first place I think that they would actually go to attack her, is the mouth. So, like, imagine, like, a bunch of little things biting at your face right there. So, she has to have a complete reconstruction, probably, of her face. Oh, I don't like it. So, any of the dinosaur names, take Take a a sip. sip. You're going to take a sip when a name is yelled. So, like, where they're like, Sarah! Sarah! How many Sarahs do you think are on this island? It's actually one of my favorites. How many Sarahs do you think are on this island? (laughs) You're right. I shouldn't have to say her last name. So, yes. And, you know, when they say, like, Dr. Malcolm. Dr. Malcolm downstairs, please. Beijing Dr. Malcolm. Like, they're all yelling at him to come down. Dr. Malcolm downstairs. Why he's, like, fighting with his daughter. So, yeah, anytime somebody's name is said, and I think Sarah has to be said the most because she don't care about these dudes and the dudes are always trying to stop her from doing something. Exactly. So you going to take a simp when a T-Rex fucks some shit up. So if it, like when it's running down the street and it rams the bus or when it bites down the sign or where they come and they keep... Hitting the side of the trailer. Any of those, you're going to take a simp. All right, well, good one. You're going to take a simp when you see the Jurassic Park logo. So anytime you see the Jurassic Park logo, you're going to take a simp. Ooh, good one. You guys can't see it right now, but I am directly looking at the logo because Lenny is wearing her Jurassic Park shirt. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. Had to do it mm-hmm. for tonight, baby. Had to do it for tonight. 
Yeah, so anytime you see some Jurassic Park, the truck, the signs, all that shit. Okay. You gonna take a sample. Okay, so you gonna finish your drink when they land on the island. So once they make it there and, you know, they deal out all the deals with the dude and he's like i'm not staying around here motherfucker i will drop you off right here on the beach yep. i'm about to go two hours away and if you need me call, call me. me and i might show up i might not i don't know so when they get to the island you gonna finish your drink you're gonna finish your drink during the cliff scene so when they're holding on to the rope and the trailer falls all around them and they just have to stay still in the middle you gonna finish your drink. Oh that's like God. that scene is iconic. That scene is my favorite scene, and it's probably why I love this movie so much. Nice. <laughs> and after at the end of that thing, you gonna need to finish your shit. drink because that shit is intense. That's some real shit. So you're going to finish your drink mm. when the T Rex drinks out of the pool. Oh my God, good one. <laughs> So when he finally gets into San Diego in the real world where we all live, yep. and he's just just drinking some water out of some poor people's backyard, you gonna finish your drink? Do you have anything to add to that? Um, no, not really. It's this one was a little harder than I thought. I know that I had like. I was looking for, I don't know what I was looking for, better drinking game, drinks, game rules. But, I mean, I think I did a oh, decent job, so I, like I ain't mad at you. I think you hit all the the hot spots, for sure. The yep. most important one for me is the dinosaurs, so you did it. You hit it. Well, that is... The motherfucking drinking game. Uh, yes, uh, so yeah, that's the motherfucking drink again. I finished my drink. Uh-oh. Oh. Oh. Down, ladies and gentlemen. All right, she she's she's shall I make she about another? to be on one. I think you shall. While I hit you with some stats. Give me those stats, stats, stats. I want to hear those stats, stats, stats. Give me those stats, stats, stats. Stat me up, bitch. Stat me up, bitch. Stat, stat, stat. Uh, uh, ooh, uh, ooh, uh. Ooh, okay, stats, so stats. here's the stats. For the Lost World Jurassic Park. Okay, so the Lost World, the Jurassic Park, dropped May 23rd, 1994. Nope. May 23rd, 1997, baby. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. Um, and the budget for this movie was $73 million. So if you translate that into 2021 money, that'd be $119 to make this. $119 million, not dollars, $119 million to make this movie if we made it today. My God. But it was totally worth it because it made... I know. Oh my God. $618 million. So if we translate that into 2021 money, that's over $1 billion. Oh my God. Worldwide. I, mean, I, I always knew that this movie was epic and legendary, but like stats wise, that's legendary. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have too many ones that end up being billions. 
you know. Spielberg, man. That's why we love you and we watch your fucking movies because you do some good ass shit. So, I mean, oh my God. I know. So, um, are you ready for the Rotten Tomatoes? Give me the Rotten Tomatoes. Oh my God. Critics. 53%. Of course. Of course. I think they're just hating because it's a part two, and who doesn't want to hate on a part two? It's Wait, very easy. Ninety-three percent. Fifty-three percent. Oh, I misheard you. What? Fifty-three <laughs> percent. What? Idiots. Yeah. Idiots. Yeah. Wow. No. Mm. Mm. I mean, it's not your fault. I say talent skips a generation. So, uh, hey, I'm sure your kids are going to be sharp as tacks. Now, I do know that a lot of people do not like this one or the third one. They have issues with it. But I love this one, and I think it's a good add-on to the Me Jurassic too. Park. And without this one, without this sequel, there probably would have never been as many more as there is. No, not at all. This kept the story going. Absolutely. It did. Yeah. So, critics hating on Spielberg bitches now audience okay, give it to me i'm ready because i know they're gonna they're, i know they're gonna pull out some true loyalty up in here give it to me audience 51 percent. are you fucking kidding i'm kidding. <laughs> that's it thank you for joining us at lights camera cocktail cocktail this has been really fun but you guys all suck <laughs> Are you kidding This me? is why people have to go on Rotten Tomato to vote for it to be an accurate number. Now, I know people don't really care for this one, but I enjoy it. I think that it is a decent part two. And if this month has taught you anything, is that part twos can be good. I now, I went and saw the newest coming to America and... Going into it, I was like, as long as it's about 50% as funny as the first one, then it did an okay job. Then, you know, it, it's fine. But I think that Lost World did more than a 53% better, like, job than it should have. So, I, I, I don't think that's an accurate number. I would give this movie um, an 89. I think it's good... As in, the story is very good. The character development is very good. That's that's my ZZ Fresh, is 89. Um, I love the, the characters and what they do and the storyline. Now, the only reason why I am giving it a lesser number is because technology moves so quickly in this world that, you know, you look at it in 2021 and you're like, oh my God, that looks like it's 1997. Yeah. So... <laughs> And then you go and look at something like Ready Player One, and you're like, is that real? Or is this like computer? What is, what am I looking at? <laughs> like, you know, so that's the only thing. I don't think it holds up as well technology-wise, but I think that it's a good, a good sequel. What's the, the Lenny Zest? 
yeah, The Lenny's Nest would definitely be a 90%. I love this movie. I think it sticks well to go on with the franchise for sure. Um, my only problems actually are the fact that there's a lot unfinished. There's a lot unsaid. There's a lot of edits that leave you wanting. There's a lot of things where you're like, whoa, there's supposed to be more here. I'm missing something. They just did try like these quick edits to try to fill in the story. Um and I, I do know that in the DVD, deleted scenes, you get to see all of those. Um, some of them are still on the cutting floor, but you get to see a lot of the scenes that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about. Like, why is there a bottle of alcohol next to the baby T-Rex after it broke its leg and is tied up? Like, that is explained in a deleted scene. Um, but you don't know that when you're just looking at it. Or, like, the conversations that are happening and... So that's a big thing for me, just with continuity of story-wise. But the script was very lengthy, I get that, um, and they were trying to keep it really close cut. <laughs> okay. But yeah, other than that, I feel like it holds so strong. It's got a diverse cast. The story is compelling. Uh, it gives a lot more in-depth to uh, like the genetics possibilities. This, If this movie hadn't been written and existed, I don't think that you would have gotten Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, like I said, this one opened the door for them to be able to make more sequels for this movie. Technology is getting better and better every year, and every year they make a new one. The dinosaurs look better and better. It's scarier and scarier, the things that they could do. And, you know, I do think that the more practical effects that they did in the first Jurassic Park um, held up a lot better than the digital effects that they did on this one, but I fucking love it. The animatronics are incredible in the first film, and they continue them on in the second film, but even in the second film they were getting this burst of CGI and so, of course, Steven Spielberg's like, let's play with it, and the the producers, we'll get into that in a little bit, but like the producers and uh, designers that were doing it had to learn this whole new program all of a sudden and try to like keep up with what was happening within filming and what was, you know, how things were changing for them. It's always a learning process. I mean, now, I mean, technology is incredible, but I mean, that's what you value about these kind of movies is that they were made during this time. They have yeah. that feel of this time. It makes it, I don't know, it makes it feel real. Because, you know, you get to see where we came from. Yeah. How it all how it all started for them. Steven Spielberg had to crawl so that the Avengers could run and look amazing. Like you know. <laughs> Alright, well that's uh the stats. I have an overdue library book. Can I can I check it in? Oh my god. Not again. Yeah. You're starting to incur some major late fees, girl, and it's just not acceptable. Well, I'll do anything to come to literary, Lenny's Literary, literary Library. library. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait it's to go back to a library. I got it right here. I know. I can't, <laughs> I can't wait to go back to a library. Are you kidding me? It's all I crave. Yeah. So this is really exciting. So you guys already talked a little bit about the series and Michael Crichton uh, in the first one, I'm sure. And when you guys talked about Jurassic Park. We did. So I don't want to. But I have not read any of the books. So mine was like secondhand knowledge. Have you read any of the books, Miss Lenny? I've read all the books, baby. I've read all the books. Of course you have. 
<laughs> my father was obsessed. Like, we're talking Jurassic Park. We did road trips, and my father would connect a big VHS TV, one in, like, one in one, two in one <laughs> kind of thing. He would rig it into our van, and we would drive on our long road trips. And the year Jurassic Park came out, that's all we watched on VHS, like, over and over and over again. So, and then we would read the books. It was just, it was epic. This book did really well. It was number one on New York Times bestsellers for eight weeks. Okay. Made tons of money. Now, because of the hype of the first movie in the first book, this book wasn't actually even written. It was something that Michael uh, Crichton had to like throw out really, really quickly and like make something. So that allowed a lot for the screenwriter to take the storyline and the story that Michael Crichton had brought to him, but like morph it into his own thing. And that's what I really, really respect about this. That's why I love this movie so much is that there's a lot of different direction that the screenwriter decided to go with. And um, his name was uh, David uh, Coep, which... We'll get to that in a little bit. But um, there's a lot of super different things about what's going on when you're reading it, dude. Uh, if you you know the gist of the book, but have you, you and you say you've never read it? I've never read it, no. So what's actually really, really funny is that Sarah Harding works for the bad guy in the book. Sarah? Sarah yeah. Harding? <laughs> Sarah Harding. So she is an animal behaviorist. There is no such thing as a paleontologist behaviorist in the book. They made that up for the movie, which I was totally fine with. But Sarah Harding is working for the bad guy, who the bad guy is Lewis Dodgson. So it's not even the actual, uh, what was his name? Uh, Ludlow. Mm -hmm. uh, the nephew, right? Yeah, the yeah. nephew of Hammond. So, um... She's working for him. She's not in a relationship with Dr. Malcolm. That they are just, they had been in a relationship in the past, but now they were just platonic friends in the book. No, I like the them together. I know. That's, he brought a lot of like heart to the script because Kelly was not even supposed to be Dr. Ian Malcolm's daughter. Kelly is actually um, a student, intern, like assistant mm -hmm. to Levine, who's a professor and um, also a genetic, genetics uh, specialist who works for iGen. And he goes missing, so Kelly goes to the island with Dr. Ian Malcolm to try to find Levine because... She is his assistant, well, but but in the movie we have Kelly, who becomes Kelly Malcolm, who is the daughter of Ian Malcolm. Adds a lot of more depth and layer to the character for sure, and a whole new aspect to it. Like seriously, I love her. Kelly was like probably why I love this movie so much because I was yeah. ten years old and was in gymnastics and a little black girl, and was like, oh my god. She gets to be my fine ass Jeff Goldblum. Yep, exactly. And she holds on. She holds it down. She holds it down. Like she holds her performance down for sure. If you had read the first book, I mean, Doctor Ian Malcolm dies in the first book. I think I knew that, but I pushed it out of my head because I don't like I to think about that. But I like to think of it though that. Jeff Goldblum is so good at this character that Steven Spielberg in the first one was not going to kill him off. Fuck no. 
He doesn't. He doesn't kill off him or uh, Dr. Hammond, which he also dies in the first book. Mm-hmm. But he keeps him around and continually pops up in the entire series forever. Dr. Ian Malcolm is always connected. He always makes a little shout out in every single movie, yeah. which is like so important because Jeff Goldblum is amazing. And he created, he really brought this character to life, which was so important. He's going around the and world so, trying to tell people to don't go to this goddamn island. How many times I got to tell exactly. y'all to stay away from these goddamn dinosaurs? Exactly. And what and Michael Crichton loved the character of Dr. Malcolm played by Jeff Goldblum. He even brought the character back to life in this book and clearly just says the doctors did a good job. What can I say? That was that was the explanation they were able to give like, oh, the doctors did a good job and Ian was fine. Yeah. What? So Wait, so was- he was killed off in the book, but Yes. He did, Jeff Goldblum did so good that the writer was like, I can't kill him off. People are going to be pissed. Mm-mm. So they just did a stupid soap opera death where like, oh, they Michael jumped. Michael Crane did a soap opera death. They jumped yep. out of the car before the car went over the cliff and exploded into flames. <laughs> it, was, it wouldn't even have been that cool. He really just wrote it off like the doctors did a good job taking care of him. And he actually survived. <laughs> yep. Well, that still, yep. that makes me feel better. That he's not dead. Yeah, Thank you. That, exactly. But flipping into this, like, the script aspect of it, because they wanted to change a lot of... He, he wanted to... David was like, listen, I want to change a few things. He did a lot of uh, rewrites and uh, rewrites of the script. He wanted to actually include Lex and Tim in the script a lot more than they were. They make a small cameo, Ariana Richards and Joseph Mazzello. They show up in the very beginning of the film. They were intended to be in the entire, like, first half of the film, but unfortunately they didn't. I super love the fact that he makes a bit of a cameo in the movie. Who? I thought about this. I didn't know if you caught it. David uh, Coep, the screenwriter, he makes a cameo in the movie. What, who is he? So in San Diego, when they're uh, the T-Rex is running down the street, and there's that, that kind of like unlucky, they call him the unlucky bystander. He's got glasses and big hair, and he's like running. He's wearing like a blue jacket, and he's like trying to run away. But the T-Rex grabs him and like flips him and rips him in half. Oh, is this when he tries to run into the door, and then he like tries yeah. to push it instead of pull it, and then it got him. Exactly. That's the writer? That's the that's the screenwriter. Wow, you got me, girl. You got me on a on a, a cameo. On a cameo. Yeah. Ah! I was like nervous because I know how you are, queen of cameos. I am the queen of cameos, so like, but you you got me. Yeah, he makes a little cameo, and I thought it was really cute, and I was like, oh my god. And that's funny because I watched that today, and I was like, that's fool. That's fool right here. <laughs> that's fool, and I didn't even know that he was the, he wrote himself. To die. That's funny. Get one. Get one. <laughs> the last thing I will say, like, the just the process of writing this script, they had so much. Obviously, there was way too much that they could involve in the actual movie itself. They filmed so many film the scenes that never even showed up at all. One of the biggest things that I appreciated the most was he left. So he he passed on his notes for his own to be passed on to later on films and you can see that like every like he they give those little easter eggs like at the very end the the pterodons they show up and they're like wings spread out and like calling out like 
you at the end. Yep. That was meant to be actually. They were supposed to have a huge role in this film. They were going to be attacking the helicopters as they were leaving the island, but. There was way too much already on the floor. They're like, we can't add another scene. We can't do this. Like, please don't. Like, it's it's going to become too much. So they took his writings and they used that idea for the third film. And that's how. You're right. That is on the third. Okay. I vaguely remember the third film. I remember thinking it sucked. But I do remember the helicopter scene, the taxi. Mm-hmm. You're right. That's probably the only well, thing I the, remember. It's from the that huge movie. pterodon, like, globe den. And yeah. it gets cracked open and it like breaks open, which again, you see it like, that's why I have a hard time with the Jurassic World films is that there's nothing, the, the only thing that's really original is the whole genetics aspect, which like in the third film, they don't really focus at all on, but in this film they do, like they talk about the lysine that keeps like the way that the animals are able to get natural lysine within their diets. Like that's all talked about in the book. And that's what you can really appreciate with Crichton is that he really does focus on those specific details. But, you don't get that in uh, the third film at all with the pterodons and inside the, but you see remember in Jurassic World and there's that huge pterodon scene when they're well actually those aren't pterodons I think those are pterodactyls aren't they they're pterodactyls in Jurassic World but anyways but to get back to my point that's what I really I love about uh, the direction that the screenwriter was going into and I feel like it just creates this like brotherhood for the Jurassic World park jurassic world franchise they all pull off ideas from each other because there's just so much that they want to do and moving forward they they get to achieve that goal even with how complicated the story can get they want to involve all the different dinosaurs and they just they really want to keep all the dinosaurs and all the storyline pretty conducive which i really appreciate and respect and a little bit of a fun fact the the screenwriter david Uh, He actually, when he was writing the script for this film, he kept a letter from a fan that uh, they had gotten through Jurassic Park that said that they really felt that um, it it took them too long to see a dinosaur in the first Jurassic Park in 1993. And he had that taped up on his, like, computer screen so that every, while he was writing the script, he wanted to make sure that all di- like more dinosaurs were represented in the film. And that was really cool. And it shows because there's 50% more dinosaurs in this film than there was in the first one. And I admire that this screenwriter really took into consideration what the fans wanted. And that's, that's like a huge compliment. Yeah, we see dinosaurs in the first, I think, like, 25 minutes, which is better than the first one, which was, like, 40 minutes or some shit like that. Yeah, it was forever. So, yeah. um, Again, the reason why I like part twos is because you don't have to deal with backstories. You don't have to build things up and characters up because we already spent two hours learning about them a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah, so, like... Now that it's time for us to get into part two, you could just jump in and you don't really have to give any really explanation if you don't want to. So that's probably why I like part two of movies because it's like, all right, let's we get a full two hours of the story, not like building any of this back stuff up. So the library is closed for Miss Lenny Lenny. Yeah, and thank you guys for stopping by. Are you ready to jet set around the world? 
it's time for AKAs. Oh my God, AKAs. I'm so, so excited. So AKAs means also known as, and it is where we give you titles of movies of this movie around the world. So these are loosely translated. To be real with you, everybody calls it either The Lost World, Jurassic Park, or Jurassic Park 2, or just The Lost World. So there wasn't really any good funny ones, but I do have two here that I dug up for you. So our if we grabbed our baby T-Rex cocktail and got on a plane and traveled to Germany... This movie would be called Forgotten World Jurassic Park, which I love. I like that. <laughs> I think that it's a very good name for this movie. Yeah. They should d- definitely lo- use that in the future. Forgot- the Forgotten World. I like that. Because it is forgotten. Nobody knows it's there, really. Really, no. People stay away from it. Nobody knows about it. Site B. Okay. So if we... <laughs> Yeah, so if we head on over to Greece, where y'all people are from. Yes. You guys. Honestly, they give the best. I'm sorry, but they give the best AKAs. They do. And this one is the Lost World Zarazisk Park. X-Y-R-A-S-I-K. Experiment. Experiment X C Y I K. <laughs> I don't know, Greece. I don't know what the fuck that is, y'all, but I like it. <laughs> I do. I really like it. <laughs> and cheers to Greece because today is the 200, it's 200 year Independence Day. Oh, and look, our drink is like in color of Greece. Here you go. It is white ice cubes, blue mm-hmm. uh, drink. All right. Well, that is a very, very little bit of. AKAs, you guys. <laughs> We've talked a lot about Steven Spielberg in general, and we won't stop because we already are planning on doing a movie yep. in the yep. future. I mean, maybe. Who, Who knows? knows? I'm just saying that, um, you know, as long as he makes movies. As long as he makes movies, he will be on the show. And uh, yeah. we have already done his movies Jaws, The Color Purple, Jurassic Park, duh. Oh, Jurassic Park. <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah, that might be actually it. So he, we have done quite a few of his movies, and I would totally suggest you go listen to those ones, especially the Jaws ones, because I go on a deep dive on him and his life and his upbringing and starting in the industry. But for this movie, by this time, this fool is like big time. Um, he's Steven Spielberg. You know, he yeah. already had done Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, and he did those two back to back. Uh, We talked about that previously in the Jurassic Park, that while he finished filming, principal filming for this movie, he was still getting edit clips while he was filming Schindler's List. So he would go from being like young and giddy and excited about Jurassic Park to being very somber and sad, you know, working on things with Schindler's List, that he took a, a hiatus from directing after that which i totally don't blame your ass when your kids are pretty young in the early 90s and you like definitely deserve to you know take a break after doing shit yeah 
But he did fear that he was going to do a part two because he knew that the world, all of us, was like, we are not done with these dinosaurs. I'm sorry, girl. Get back behind the camera. Which he did. And he uh, gave us this movie. And so he kind of, I think he kind of, when he started this movie, thought that like he would be signed on for part three as well as director. But at some point he realized like, I don't want to do another one of these. Um, So he put parts of the part three into this one. So part three for Steven Spielberg script would have been hit the dinosaurs here in San Diego Mm -hmm. and all of the destruction that we see at the end of the movie would have been stretched out into a longer uh, movie. Uh, So before he stopped, you know, directing, he was like, let's, throw this in the mix so that we can still have a little touch of what my part three would have been like. And like you said, he, he passed on his show notes, his Bible of everything about this movie to everyone else. So, um, that, that's really cool. Not, that's something like I feel very unheard of Yeah, when a director passes it on. Yeah. He specifically worked with Joe John, uh, Johnston for part, uh, three, which was really cool because he really, Johnston really wanted to do Jurassic Park 2, and Spielberg's like, no, man, I've I got to do this one. Like, mm-hmm, this, one mm-hmm. this one is mine. I have to do it. But, yeah, you can get action in 3. Don't worry about it. And he did. He he held his word to it. And he and you guys, if you didn't, he does, uh, the, Johnston also did, um, most recently, Captain America. Well, not recent, but Captain America. He's Winter he's Soldier, right? He's a really great director, Jumanji. So... That's what I, he, he, they worked really closely together, which I think is amazing. That just shows how Spielberg just, it does, it's not about having to be the one in charge. He just wants to make sure that it get it happens. And if he can be a part of it, he wants to be a part of it. A true artist loves to collaborate and to make good art together. And Steven Spielberg has no problem with, you know, doing that and sharing his opinions and growing with other artists using, you know, the same actors or whatever. I mean... I only have a few things to say about Steven Spielberg in this film. Okay. One, he makes a cameo. Say what? He makes a cameo in the movie. (laughs) Okay, okay, you guys. I just want to say, I feel like I'm slacking in this movie. Uh, No. I'm really, I'm surprised because you're so cameo. I am so. That I'm surprising you right There now. was a lot of fun facts that I had to deal with this movie. It's true. Um, yeah, this is so subtle. It's really, really, you guys wouldn't even notice it if it act, like, honestly. But it's real. At the very end, you remember how Dr. Ian Malcolm, Sarah Harding, and Kelly are all sitting on the couch and they're watching CNN and they're watching the freighter go back to mm-hmm. the island where they will be reunited. In the reflection, you will see that it is Jeff Goldblum and Steven Spielberg. And Steven Spielberg's holding a glass of scotch. And you see their reflection in the TV as it's it's looking over C- it's the CNN image. And you see their reflection in the in the TV. What the fuck? Yep. It's so subtle, but yeah, Steven Spielberg. His reflection is in the TV. He just sat there and watched it. You looked at it. You watched it. You can fully on see his baseball cap, Ted. I'll send you the... I will send you the screenshot that I took. Wow. (laughs) 
Okay, Jeff Goldblum, ladies and gentlemen, he is awesome. He's a fantastic actor. He's very fun. And um, th I'm not going to say this is his peak finest, but he, uh, he fine as hell in this goddamn movie just running around. Because I still think that he's a gorgeous, a gorgeous man. And I, I love hearing him say anything. It's just great. Like, I love when he's trying to, like, is he speaking Spanish or something to the, the operator? <laughs> Even him speaking a different language sounds like him saying, and it's just so hilarious to me. Like, I would, I would sit down for hours talking to him. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and the way he just presents himself. I just love that Jeff Goldblum committed to this character for himself like he plays it so well he loves to continue on the tradition like i said he every single movie has a little bit he showed up in fallen kingdom i was like what mm -hmm. oh my god like and his book shows up in the films as well god created yep. dinosaurs like he's just he delivered he has all my favorite lines in this film because he knows how to deliver a fucking line he does and we have talked about him Twice on the show, once on Independence Day and the other on Jurassic Park. So this is our third Jeff Goldblum movie. And I always, when I think of Jeff Goldblum, I always think of, man, fuck Jeff Goldblum. But I would never, I mean, no, I that's not true. I would definitely would like to fuck Jeff Goldblum, but not like a mean fuck. Like, go fuck yourself. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your favorite movie of his? Oh man, a Jeff Goldblum. Mm -hmm. Okay, do you want me to go? Yeah, you go. What's your favorite? Definitely Independence Day. Duh. That's a good one. He's with my bye bye, and he's also at peak hotness at that time too. Though like, it's true. Fine. Um, but he was way more badass in this one. I think that's why I like him in this one. Um, I love The Fly. That movie still to this day freaks me yeah, out. <laughs> for sure. It's so good. Uh, and Ragnarok, I, definitely. So Ragnarok is one of my favorite <laughs> movies in general, especially for Marvel. Like, it's my favorite Marvel film for it's, sure. And he's It is in the top three of my favorite Marvel he's films. He's incredible in that movie. So, yeah, <laughs> I, that would probably. No, but see, Earth Girls are easy. <laughs> Oh yeah! I like love that movie. Who's I the mean, female lead in that? Uh, is it Gina Davis? I think it is. I yeah. Oh, it's so good. Oh, I like him in Grand Budapest. Oh yeah, he is in the Grand Budapest. Mm -hmm. See, oh, he's a classic. I do. He love is him a him. classic. I mean, I have the Funko Pop of Doctor Ian Malcolm laying over on the side like he's all beat his legs all ripped up and it, have you seen that funko pop oh you have the laying down of him yeah it's in storage right now but that's how i love that character so much i love him so much <laughs> oh my god okay well you know in honor of jurassic park we're, we're gonna repost our uh jason mike uh jeff oh, goldblum right. picture <gasps> just in honor just in honor of it. He'll yeah, get a he kick will. out of that shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> he made that for me anyway. That was <laughs> hilarious. Oh. And we're going to talk about Jeff Goldblum again in the future. He's one of our favorites. He's a classic. Definitely. I really love it when he goes on that live television, that live YouTube show where they eat hot chicken wings. 
And he's eating like Anything. vegan wings because he's a vegetarian. So he's eating vegan wings with all these hot sauce. But he's like, he puts it to his mouth and he's like, that just smells hot. Like he just like, I'm not, mm-mm, mm-mm, I'm not, not gonna do not it. Not gonna do it. I think he like touched it with his tongue for a second. He's like, mm-mm, mm-mm. it's too good. So check out Jeff Goldblum. He's amazing. So are you ready to talk about the real star? All right, three minutes. I'm so excited. Tell me the real star. I'm so excited. What is it? So the real star of the movie is the house that the (laughs) T-Rex drinks out of their pool. Stop it. No way. What? As a child, have you ever wanted to have your own pet dinosaur drink out of your pool? I know I have. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Have his own little doggy house in the back. That he eats uh, out of. That he eats out. So he brings his prey. Okay, so if you wanted to visit this house, it is still around. It is Maryland, Maryland Street in, in, Gar, in the Gardenia Hills. So it is nowhere near San Diego, people. It's another fake out. Um, it's If you are familiar with Southern California, it would be... Right, it'd be above Burbank, but below Santa Clarita, so it's like kind of like in the middle there. And the closest beach to it would probably be like Santa Monica or or like um, Malibu. It's nowhere near San Diego. (laughs) Just to let you know, movie camera magic, magic. Um, another thing is that I don't think they filmed anything in San Diego, like where it's mobbing down the street and the cars are going all crazy. That's in fucking Burbank. <laughs> like, yeah, so they did not go to San Diego. Yeah, not <laughs> and once I found that out, I started looking at it. I was like, you're right, that is Burbank. What the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah, it's only got me. I always thought it was San Diego. Um, but this house is four bedrooms, four baths, and it's over 3,500 square feet. It does have a pool and a spa. It has cathedral ceilings, two fireplaces, a great room, a family room, a wet bar. Hello. That's my favorite. They don't, uh, they don't make wet bars in in houses anymore, which they should. And... Um, and this house was built in 1994. I looked at pictures in the inside of the house. Now, I don't know if the pictures were from the 90s or what, but the house definitely looks 90s in the inside. <laughs> Just the way things were set up. I was like, yeah, you look pretty 90s. Yeah, you're um, keeping it real. You're keeping it real. Uh, if you wanted to buy this house it is not for sale right now but it has been up for sale twice in its time mm. but it's estimated that you could buy your your own Jurassic Park house for 1.4 million dollars oh yeah. my god 1.4 million Being it was a nice with the T-Rex no you have to bring your own T-Rex classic not included yeah but um, that's a little bit of history on the on the, the fucking, real star. Of the real film. star. I wouldn't really call it the real star. Oh, I would I call it the it the co-star. The co-star. Yeah, it's a co-star. It's a supporting actor the supporting in the movie. Actor of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. 
I like one, it though. I just want you to know that they weren't a San Diego ever. <laughs> <laughs> it never happened. I don't know. They might have been on when they were on the dock. It might have been. But I still feel like that I was, was probably like I was trying to figure like out how Pedro. they did that whole ship in the dock type of uh, filming, for sure. I do know that they filmed in the Redwood Forests a lot. Uh, they did. For a lot of the island scenes. In some of the places where they filmed Star Wars. Yeah, 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 cool. Yeah, so <laughs> that's a little bit. Who you want to talk about next? I have a couple of fun facts about Julianne Moore's character, Julianne Moore and her character. Let's talk about her. We've already talked about her previously in Boogie Nights. Yes. I think that might be our only one of her, but I love her. I think she's a fantastic actress, and I'm always willing to do one of her movies. We talked about it in The Big Lebowski, I'm sure. Oh, you're right. Okay, so two. I super love her. She's really, honestly, way more into the indie art film scene, for sure. So for her to do a Steven Spielberg Hollywood blockbuster film was definitely, I think, a shock for a lot of people, a lot of other fellow actors, people who know her art and her uh, dedication to her craft. I mean, the hours alone. Like, oh, God, she's such an incredible... Magnolia, she's an incredible actress. Magnolia, yeah. When she was talked about doing this film, she said, honestly, I did this film because I wanted to pay off my divorce settlement. Yep. And I really wanted to work with Steven Spielberg. Who turns out Steven Spielberg? Can you believe, though, how, like, badass to be like, I'm just doing this so I can pay my divorce settlement. <laughs> and luckily, I get to work with Steven Spielberg. Yeah, and I get to work with Steven Spielberg. But you know what's crazy, and I was reading about this, that there were two other people that were approached to do this part. Ooh, who? Juliette Binoche was going to be the first choice. She actually was approached to do... Um, Dr. Sattler in the first film and she said no and in the second film when Spielberg asked her to be in this one as Sarah Harding she goes I only want to be in the movie if I can be one of the dinosaurs (laughs) okay one that is Lenny like Lenny would definitely say some shit like that to me I would really say that too. Which I don't know why he didn't take her up on the offer. You could have just put her in one of the like one of the animatronics for like a couple of minutes and been like, "There, you're one of the dinosaurs. Now be in my fucking movie." <laughs> and she would have been brilliant in it. But I like that she tried to be like completely indie. Uh, I mean, she also is another indie artist who really just does art art film. I never, you never see her in truly uh, traditional Hollywood blockbuster type of films. This one really tripped me up though. Apparently, Julia Roberts was offered to do this role, which we had learned, and I've done research, and I read that Hook was before this, obviously, 1991, and then we have this film. And I thought Steven Spielberg wasn't going to work with Julia Roberts ever again, but the fact that she was, it was rumored that she was offered this role to play Sarah Harding, but she turned it down, or there was a conflict or something. I mean, we d- we discussed that, you know, it just was very difficult for her at that time, During that time. And that it was difficult that, you know, she's the only one on set every time she's on set, pretty much. So I think that he's smart enough of a man to know that, like, you can't really judge her on that. Because I don't think she has a reputation for being, like, a bitchy bitch on on set no she's 
She's apparently a sweetheart. Yeah, I hear everybody they said that she's a sweetheart. So I'm sure that he was just like, I caught her at a bad time and maybe this would yeah. be better. Plus, this is a way better role than being Tink. I'm kind of glad he didn't because... Me too. I'm glad Julianne Moore got it. Julianne Moore is my fave. This oh, was probably the very first thing that I can ever remember her in. Um, I did go back when I got older and did watch like The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. She's in that. Um, oh, yeah. And Fugitive. But this, 97, was like a great year for her. She nailed this movie. She did Boogie Nights in this movie. Uh, or in that year, The Myth of Fingerprints, Chicago Cab. So she was very busy yeah. in um, 97. And I think that this time really projected her into being like such a, a great actress. Mm-hmm. Um, she does go on to end up being in uh, another movie with Vince Vaughn. She's in Psycho. Oh, that's right. Oh, my God, that's right. Which came out a year after this one. (laughs) Magnolia, which is an amazing movie. And, I mean, she does, again, we talked about the hours. She's that weird cannibal in Kingsman, the Golden Circle. Yep. Which I thought was so crazy. And, uh, of course, we know her in Hunger Games Oh, yeah! Fucking Hunger Games. Marking J. Marking J. That's the way. That's the way. That book got me. I can't wait to do book month. I could have did fucking Marking J for part two for sequels because I fucking love me. I probably would have did Catching Fire. That was probably a better Catching Fire is amazing. But I love the fucking. I love it all. Yeah. Don't make me. Don't you make me watch them. That's it. I'm watching them. That's it. About to have a marathon. <laughs> well, no, we're gonna do when we do book months. Yeah. We're doing it. Uh, we're doing it. It's happening. So where's Zenobia? Write that down. Write that down. Okay. So <laughs> do you have anything else to talk about our leading lady? No, that's. Let's do Vince Vaughn, our sexy little filmographer who. Works for Greenpeace, but also, like, works to make some money. But, like, pulling out a different camera every single time. Then, oh, wait, I got pliers. Like, wow, Vince Vaughn. Just already give me the pull of surprise, man. He's, like, ready to fucking win. Um, Vince Vaughn, we've talked about him also on this show Mm -hmm. in Old School. And that's it. Earmuffs. I don't think we... I don't think we talk. <laughs> Earmuffs is a good fucking movie. I'm um, really surprised we haven't done Dodgeball on this show yet, so that's going to have to be on here. Oh, no. Sure. We did Wedding Crashers as well, so we've got two. Oh. Vince Vaughn is great. Um, he nice. is... I did not know, but he came from a wealthy family, so he did not have to want for anything during his... Uh, starving artist time. Beautiful. How great is that? I love hearing that. <laughs> he wanted to be a serious actor, um, but it kind of just was not his jammy jam, and then he fell into his frat pack uh, group of guys, you know, and Swingers did start it all. Yeah. And he was placed in Swingers, and the movie is a good it's a good cult classic, especially from the 90s, showing what, like, 
dating was like where you had to call somebody's like answer machine like from a landline and shit <laughs> like it's just very it's very funny it's so um, funny it's very funny i totally suggest you watch it young vince vaughn and um and what's his face what's what's his name oh from swingers uh oh my god what is his name i can never remember his name i got it john for uh Fair. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, no, no, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, John Ferrero, John Ferrero, a young John Ferrero, directing and writing that shit for Vince Vaughn. They became good friends off of Rudy, which I didn't know. That's where they met on the set of on Rudy set and of became Rudy. friends. And uh, Steven Spielberg had watched Swingers in 1996 and was like. I need that guy and <laughs> contacted Vince Vaughn and was like, I need you to come read for my, my movie. Mm-hmm. I really want to put you in it, which that really catapulted him into being Vince Vaughn. This is the very first thing I can remember seeing him in. I saw swingers as like a teenager, not as a child. So mm-hmm. um, this is the thing that I always remembered him for, for a very long time until he started being Vince Vaughn. I super love his arc in this, the the character arc in this movie, because he does come off as like super uh, cute, doing it for the chicks and Greenpeace, like doing it for the fame, write me the Pulitzer now kind of crap. But what's really cool is that there's this underlying tone that he's actually an environmental uh, rights advocate anarchist. I mean, not anarchist specifically, but he is willing to use uh, dangerous force if necessary be, for his skills because he's alerted to being a uh, part of Earth First, which is like an anarchy group, like a an Earth environmental anarchy group. Really fucking cool. And you get to kind of see that because remember the bad guy calls him out on it. Uh, what's his name? Roland. Roland's just like, oh, I know you. I've seen you in the videos. You're from Earth First. Like he knows him because he's a poacher and he's in that same life that are ridiculed and like has he has to deal with these people on a regular mm. basis. And it leads for them to have a really like intimate, loving conversation. Not loving, sorry, in- an intimate, introspective conversation. Uh, why he does what he does. Roland is a very weird character, and we'll go into that a little bit more. He's one of the strangest characters in this this film for me. I love his character. I think that he is oh, very funny. He is a uh, a great friend to them. You know, like Sarah Falls. Oh, I'm and, talking about Roland. I'm so sorry. Oh, we're not talking about Vince. No, Vaughn. I was just comparing the two of them just then. Uh, oh, okay. And I was just saying, but Roland is a very strange character, and like the way that that evil villain is is written, and he just disappears. He's one of the only villains that doesn't really get what's coming to him. I mean, he's a villain because he's a poacher. Yeah, he does it for games. But but you get to see he doesn't get he doesn't get the the T Rex like he wants, and he doesn't like you know he doesn't win. Only he ends up losing all of his shit, and so he just ends up trying to help get everybody back. Safely, pretty he knew much. He was gonna get out. He's a hunter. He had his whole thing planned out. I mean, he uses, he puts the whole entire camp in jeopardy when he sees on Sarah's jacket that it is covered in the blood. He's like, "Are you injured?" She's like, "No, the baby T Rex, and it won't dry." He knew what it did. Like he looked at it and he knew. 
then he uses the health and safety of the entire camp just to get that T-Rex because that is his whole goal right there. All he wants to do is kill that T-Rex. Like that, he's he's the ultimate predator in this world and he has to go up against his only nemesis, which is the Tyrannosaurus Rex. That's what he believes. And that's the conversation that him and Owen have. And it's it's one of the most incredible for both of those characters. And you, you see it a lot in the book and it's nice that it translates to here as well on the film. But what's really funny is that I love that Owen takes the he tells him he's like let me see that gun he's like no 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 no, it's not happening and then he cocks it open and takes out those bullets so he can't kill him so he has to tranquilize him that is the only that's that's how he gets him a little bit and that's why at the end even though he walks away he loses his best friend he does lose somebody his best friend Ajaj who's got the glasses and he's the one that's sitting in the tree with him when he's hunting the T-Rex that was his best friend you learn about that in the book as well as um, it's more in detail with the deleted scenes they have a very knit close relationship and when he loses his best friend and fellow hunter he gets really like sad on the hunt um i know he's a villain that never gets his own like he never gets what's coming to him he just disappears i believe i've spent enough time in the company of death i kind of there's a fan theory that suggests that he is in charge of uh the company, or he like is is a part of the company that tries to militarize the Raptors in the new series. Oh, and they're thinking he might come back around, but we'll see because they they really do like to bring characters back. They do. They do. So we'll see. So yeah, Vince Vaughn. We'll see you again. Want a fun fact? Give me a fun fact. I want to tell you. About the baby T-Rex as we drink in the baby T-Rex. Give me that baby T-Rex info. So the sound that we hear that is the baby T-Rex is actually a baby camel crying for their mommy. And the pterodactyl sound is like floss from a box. But they like speed it up and edit it. Just I'm pulling it. Really? Yes ways, really. Ew. So I mean, we don't know it's what like dinosaur dying... sounds like. <laughs> I guess so. I kind of, but I use floss all the time. But then now... you got to record it and then like speed it up or change like the t- the speed of it. Yeah, I want to change it a little bit. Well, make your own dinosaur <laughs> noise at home. Don't pull out too much floss. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about some of the techie stuff? Yeah, we can talk about the animatronics and the uh, CGI animation. The animation, the puppeteer uh, that's behind all this is Stan uh, Winston Studios. They were the ones that built the beautiful animatronics that we get to see in this film. Both of those T-Rexes that we were seeing weighed nine tons. Damn nine tons because that was so they were so heavy they refused obviously to move them so they would build the sets for everything that the t-rexes were in around them which i think is just so cool (laughs) and it's just so neat to i wish that they would do like a time i wish there would have been time lapse at that time to watch them building all of the set like multiple times around these and then like bringing them down and then building another so what do you know what happened to the Rex T Rexes are they anywhere? Does somebody They're have it? They're still in the studios. Uh, Warner Bros. Universal Studios still has them. Of 
course they spent all that money <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah i've never been on a the universal studios tour um i always wondered if you could see them if you could go they don't the last time i went on the tour i didn't see it um i think that they would if they have these things in well they have the ride i've been to the ride but it's not the same well our ride i don't know they redid the ride i haven't been on the newer one oh the one at Universal Studios, Islands of Adventure, when you're on the T-Rex ride, it's, I mean, it's, F, it's incredible. He's like 50 feet yeah. huge. And when you're going, it's right before you go straight down. And it's at a 45 degree angle. It's not a 90, but it's at a 45. And it's like a really tight, tight, like, Twite like a straight down. It's scary. <laughs> Oof. It's like, it's scary. Oh, my God. Everyone wear masks so I can go to some amusement parks. Fuck. No, I just want to go to... I really want to show you to go to Islands of Adventure because I really want to go to Harry Potter Hogwarts. Me too. Ugh. And Diagon Alley. All I want to go to do is go to Diagon Alley. Anyways. I actually care now. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's okay. The Universal Studios, I'm pretty sure, still has most of these animatronics. Actually, what's really, really one of my favorites is that the Stegosauruses themselves became such a huge uh, part of uh the filming itself so what's really cute is that a lot of people had written to steven spielberg a lot of kids and they were like why didn't we see anything about stegosaurus we really want to see more of that in the film and he took it to heart a lot of people uh when they did an article uh stan winston said that that is one of the biggest things that Spielberg focused on was that fight, the, not the fight scene, but the, the scene involving the two Stegos, the family of Stegosauruses. So they built two of the Stegosauruses animatronics. Uh, it was a five-person team to actually move the puppet itself, the robot. And uh, it from the tent, like, this is in the spectrum of how big it was. He was 16 feet tall and 26 feet wide. Damn. That's how big it was. And then they had the baby. They made the baby Stegosaurus that Julianne Moore is seen taking a photo of. And the baby was eight feet long and four feet tall. So you could, like, take that one home with you. That, see, that's the one that needs to be in my backyard. I like it. Yeah. Exactly, right? And it's so cute. And you could just, like, hide it behind the, <laughs> the little tree and it'd be like, <laughs> when it came in. I, like, love it. Oh, I want one so bad. But so those were specifically created. Spielberg like made a requirement that those would be there. As we had said before, there's 50% more presence of dinosaurs in this actual movie than Jurassic Park, the, J the first one, the JP. So this meant that it tripled the size of how many stunt performers needed to be on set. So before in JP, they only had 13 stunt performers. In this film, they had 50 two stunt performers a lot more people oh. died in this one than in the first one so that makes sense i feel like there was a lot more action there was so much going on like even within just like the camp rivalry and like when they blow up that whole thing and that whole scene up for i'm sure you guys talked about this in jp most of the time what they had started doing was uh motion um so like stop motion animation they actually had models of the dinosaurs and that's how they would get the close-up shots and and they would do slow motion and then we talked about a little bit how you know computer generated images are like changing the technology is constantly expanding, all the time especially during that time yeah. it was getting really innovative and like everybody was focused on it so um 
Stan and this other guy who was in charge of the was his com- his comrade Randall M. Deruta. He was uh, another animator that came in and they had to learn these new specs, had to figure out how to make this thing work, and they used motion e- encoders in their actual animation of like the the stop motion puppets. Mm-hmm. They move those into the animation, the animation of the actual big animatronics as well. These encoders to help build into the digital world and how that was moving into it, and that's how that was their big jump and step forward to translate from what they used to to used to do and to make it into like the digital data that they needed to like further go. But I I thought it would actually be really funny. I forgot to mention this actually. But in the drinking game, we should take a drink every single time. It's a corny CGI. (laughs) (laughs) I have it written down here in the notes. I was just like, remember the, when the fake blood comes out after he gets attacked? Yeah, it is such bad CGI. I was like, dang, y'all couldn't just put some food color in some water to make it look real real quick. The, the waterfall looked better. The waterfall did look better than it going down the creek. You're like, this is cheap ass. It's not even going around the rocks. It like legitly goes over them. It's very bad, but it's 1997. What do you want? What do you want? But honestly, the it's still using the animation of the animatronics as well as working in the digital CGI that they had. That's how we were able to get those really close up, like neat menacing shots of those, the carnivores and then the long, the, the, the shots of uh, the herbivores all running Remember, yeah. And we get all those really great CG digital effects like the, that. It, it really paid off for it and their work for it. So I thought that it really did step up its game from the first one. I thought I liked it. Can I give you a fun fact on on some some uh, scene? Okay. Yeah, please. So you know the scene where the girls are sleeping in the tent and the T-Rex sticks his head mm-hmm. in there and, you know, Sarah's, like, trying to keep Kelly, like, quiet and shit like that. So the way that this was filmed was that, like, the tent and the sleeping bags and everything is on, like, a platform. And they would put, Uh like, dummy legs and stuff into the sleeping bag. And then the actors would pop their head up from, like, a hole. And they would, like, (laughs) bend over and make it look like they're asleep. So the reason why they did this was so that the, in case, God forbid, something happened and the T-Rex, like, fell, it wouldn't, like, crush their legs and crush them. So that is why they went through. So they're not laying down in that scene at all. They're literally standing and they're kind of like lean over like they're asleep. That's amazing. Did you? Right? I did not know that. Did you know that? I did not know that. So the next time you watch that scene, it's going to be a little different uh, when you look at it. It's crazy. Yeah. So they're not really uh, laying down. I think that is crazy. That is hilarious. And again, movie magic. Movie magic. Movie magic. Okay. Oh my God. Oh, I almost spilled my drink. I was excited. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So she is the coolest, like, 12 year old on the island, AKA the only 12 year old on the island. Vanessa Chester. I love her. She is great in this movie. 
like I said, I was 10 when this came out and was in gymnastics and all kinds of black and was like, I want to be her. Like, she was like the original Simone and like Gabby Douglas and shit. Like, she's over here. Yeah. <laughs> kicking uh, dinosaurs out windows. That's great. Um, uh, that was amazing. She, she just shoves a velociraptor out of a two-story building. I'm down. Fun fact, she is one of the only, if not the only, person to kill a velociraptor on camera in all of the movies. Badass. Badass. That's amazing. Yeah, so badass. Okay, so she is an L.A. child, and she went on to do... Some of my favorite, like, 90s movies besides this one. Like I said, I told you I thought I was her. Like, I thought yeah. that I was her. Um, She's amazing. But she also... She also was discovered by... Not discovered, but... Steven Spielberg went and took his daughter to go see Little Princess in 1995. Which... I love that movie. I just introduced it to my nieces. They love that movie. Oh um, I bet. Yeah. Which is a remake of a Shirley Temple movie. And it's not as good as this one. I fucking love this one. And Yeah, no, this one wins for sure. Yeah, she plays Becky, the black girl that works with the girls' school. The house, yeah, the housekeeper. But she gets adopted. So. Like, it, she's the she best. She does. Yeah, she was so sweet. I absolutely love her in that movie. And let's not forget Harriet the Spy. That, no, I, that's the first, like, honestly, I love her in that movie. She's one of my favorite characters in that. Ugh, I love that movie so much. Yes, I love Harriet the Spy. We might have to have it for like a 90s month because it's such a good movie. It still holds it's up, you guys. It still holds up. Even as like an old ass adult, when we were watching it, you're just like, this is still such a great... It, I still want to be a spy. Like, fuck! <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. And the emotions that are in that movie. Yeah. Especially, like, Her... going through being a young little kid and, like, having your friends turn against you. Turn against you. you. Yeah, you... I watched. I remember watching that as a kid and being like, oh, my God. This is so real. Like... I know. Um, But she showed up in other things. Like, she's all that... Um, she did an yeah. episode of Malcolm in the Middle. She also had a little guest spot on The West Wing. Um, she was in Seventeen again. Switched at birth. She did an episode of How I Met Your Mother. I believe that is she the chick that Bernie, the only chick that Bernie, black chick he's ever dated. Oh my god! I think that's her. I'm rewatching it. Have you noticed that I've been? You have been rewatching it. So when you find her episode. Here, I'll tell you what episode. I will alert you immediately. It is season eight, episode five. I'm not, yeah, I'm not on, I'm only on season four. Okay, so, yeah. When she did the movie Little Princess, Steven Spielberg took his daughter to go see it. And they walked up and asked for an autograph from her. And he was like, I, you, Vanessa girl, I'm going to put you in one of my movies. And she's just like, uh-huh, yeah. And she doesn't really realize that, you know. I mean, I'm pretty sure she knows he's Steven Spielberg, but she doesn't know that he's Steven fucking 
Spielberg. Like you just be like, yeah. okay, so what number do I call you on? When, when do you want me to like, you know, like everybody else? She's just like, uh-huh. And okay, great. like uh, about a year and a half later, she got called in to come audition. And she said her audition was not really like an audition. Like she just kind of sat down in this like big ass conference room where he's like way on the other end of the table. He's just asking her questions like, hey, what do you do for fun? What grade are you in? You know, how do you like school? You know how like parents ask kids things that you don't. Yeah. Kid, you don't know that you're just like, oh, what do you like to you do? Any, you <laughs> like baseball? Like, you know, like stupid stuff. Yeah, and then she said that he was like, okay, great, you know, I'm going to call in Jeff, and you guys are going to, like, read a scene. And so she read a scene, and he was like, great, now I'm going to have Jeff uh, chase you around the room like he's a big-ass, like, velociraptor, and you should run like you're scared. And she's like, um, uh, okay. (laughs) And, like... Like ran around the like room running and acting scared from Jeff Goldblum, who's probably like ah, bah, or whatever the <laughs> fuck. Like, <laughs> and uh, unbelievable. He gave her the job, which I think it's awesome. Um, I don't feel like he uses black people or black women that often in his movies. So to see that he like saw one on screen and was like. I'm going to put you in this movie, even though, like, this character is a fake character, as you're you're telling me from the book. And Mm -hmm. they don't ever explain why she's black. Like, they kind of make a joke about it, but, like, never really explain it, which I love. We don't need a goddamn no. That's his daughter. (laughs) See, the family resemblance? They're like, no. Like. Yeah. I know that was like so blatant from Vince Vaughn. Yeah. When he makes that comment, it's like, oh god. Ooh, it's ninety-seven. We don't know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, she definitely does not look mixed. Uh, she's adopted. That's all I would say, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, unless his mom was black, we don't know. We don't know what his other wives look like. He had like four or five, right? Yeah, he a couple of them. <laughs> He's had a couple of wives. He talks about that in the first one. Um, but Vanessa said that she just had the time of her life, that everyone was very sweet to her. Vince Vaughn was like her best friend on set. And like she had to come on set during Halloween on Halloween. So she came to set on in costume and he was just like oh my god this is awesome we're going to craft service let's steal all their candy and like you know like hanging out with her and just making her feel like really cool which i totally see in like the scene where you know it's it's uh nick and sarah and kelly and they're like hiding from the t-rex and he's like it's coming back again and it's really jeff goldblum like running through um and she runs to him and hugs him, and Vince, he looks at Vince Vaughn, and he's like, thank you. Like, you I saved know. my daughter and my girlfriend. Like, thank you. Truly. He's just like, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. And uh, him just, like, holding her, like, it's going to be okay. Oh, it's going to be okay. I'd be truly grateful like, as well. Like, he really, like, kept her safe. It was amazing. He did. And I think that shows in the movie. She said that uh, Julianne was very sweet you know being like the only other girl on set Mm -hmm. and you know they they had 
she just said everyone was super cool. She said her mom showed her the fly before meeting Jeff Goldblum, so she was fucking freaked out about him. Yeah, that's a tough movie to introduce to a kid. (laughs) A 12 year old, which I'm pretty sure I watched it at 12 too, but I never met Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't watch that movie until high school for sure. But she just had a time of her life. She said that she didn't care. She just wanted to see a dinosaur. That's all she wanted to see. She found, she walked over to where like the T-Rex was and she said she like the T-Rex head and like walked over really slow and got close to it. And she, she stuck her hand out and she wanted to touch it and it fucking moved and scared the shit out of her. The crew was playing a big ass joke on her because uh, a lot of them would be connected to like a helmet. You put the helmet on and then you move your head mm-hmm. and the T-Rex would move. And so like somebody grabbed the helmet while she was like getting really close to it and moved and she just like screamed and like everyone fell out laughing. Oh, so it seemed so like funny. it was a really fun set to be on. Sure everyone enjoyed each other. Everyone was super professional, and I think it was very uh, educational for her. Honestly, you hear that story, and that just seems so right to me. And just to have the dinosaur there, it's so magnanimous, you know? But then when you hear about Game of Thrones and how all of those dragons, they're total CGI, CGI, no animation, or, um, yeah, no other, like, animatronic animation. And she was, like, petting a green dot. Wouldn't it have just been so cooler if she had an animatronic dragon just then like i don't know it just it would make it just so much more magical yeah i'm all for it because it makes it okay so like the little t-rex that they're old is um done by remote control Mm -hmm. so that the actors can actually like hold it and it actually move and they can react to it Mm -hmm. that's why like when you see like vince vaughn or Jeff Goldblum, like, holding it and running, it looks so good because it is actually, you know, a physical thing. They're holding it, yeah. Them trying to keep it down as the tail's swinging and he's trying to close his mouth. That's all happening in real time, and it's not like, you know, we have to pretend. There were some, you know, like we said, some CGI things that were, like, uh, the dinosaur kicking through the door and pushing Jeff Goldblum, you know, through the door, through yeah. the window. All those stuff was CGI. That is so funny. That's such a good scene. Where he runs in it and then it jumps through the window and then he runs out. And then yeah. he has to run back in. Yeah. So I totally agree. If you can do it without a green screen, I would suggest do some of those things without green screen. Because those parts of this movie always, it looked so much better. I do have some more facts. You want to hear some facts? Yeah, give me another fact. A fun fact. Okay, so this movie held the record for the biggest opening weekend over, like, for years. Mm -hmm. So the first, the opening weekend, it made $72 million, which is only $1 million less than what it costs to actually make this movie. So they made all their money back. Within the first weekend, pretty much. Oh um, if you translate that into 2021 money, it's like $118 million that they made their opening weekend. And they held this record until 2001 with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, who had a bigger opening, which we will definitely do one day. Breaking records. 
Breaking records. Anything else? I do have one. So this movie got action figures. Ooh, action figures. Really? The first Jurassic Park also got action figures and it blew up. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't they do that with this one? Uh, Vanessa talks about how she was just like the most excited 12 year old to like finally get like an action figure of herself already. Um, Vince Vaughn was making fun of his saying like it didn't look anything like him but it was like cool that he had one. Um, And it did really well uh, toy wise. So if anyone has any out there and you don't want it anymore, you should send it to us. I yeah, would I would love it. I Or send me a link if you see them <laughs> out there on Etsy maybe or some or eBay. That would be or so eBay cool. Send us photos. Ooh, we'll pop them up on Instagram. Ooh, ooh. All right, what you got? I thought this was really, really cool. I didn't... I- I love it when people get involved in the theater aspect of the film. And when I read about this, I thought it was really, it, it was a neat little feature. So the film, when it was being released, it, it asked all the theaters that were showing the film to install these new special gadgets into the theaters. Um, basically, they were just a, a very advanced version of a strobe light. And what the movie theater was to do was to install these lights on the side walls of the theater that was showing the film. And during a specific time in the film that was marked, the projectionist had to turn on the strobe lights. The audience was warned, of course, right before watching the film, like, hey, there are strobe light effects happening in this film for people who suffer from epilepsy. So they wouldn't be affected. And so like somewhere during the storm scenes, um, they would cascade these strobe lights to make their a huge bigger impact in the theater so that it was the experience of watching it uh, would would really like get the audience into the moment and like into the film and into the scene. And I I I love that because we're kind of retracing that style of entering into like theater entertainment with the I think it's called 40 uh 40 40x where you're like in a simulation like you're in the 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 chairs move around i did it oh 4d 4d thank you in 4d you can i did beauty and the beast uh 4d and it was crazy like i could smell the musk of the beast and stuff so i feel like they're kind of that was like the 90s version of trying to like do that kind of like interactive theater moment i feel you because i did uh nightmare before christmas that way and it was really cool but I don't know about the strobe lights in this movie. I don't feel like it would add anything. It would just be kind of cool, I guess. Cause it's I don't not know. Like think about like... it. Like if you're you're sitting there and the, it's the trailer scene and the dress and the T-Rexes are about to show up and the lightning goes off and in the theater actual like light flashes, you're like, oh shit. Like especially in the 90s okay. and like you don't expect that kind of thing to happen. That's true. I went and saw this in the 90s, and I don't remember no strobe lights. My theater was cheap as fuck then. Some people found it to be very confusing. The projectionists didn't understand the concept. I did read They just didn't want to work. Of, I feel you fucking projectionists. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> they, were, they were talking in the article that a lot of the theaters felt like despair about the whole situation because they didn't feel like they were doing it correctly or wasn't doing it right. But I don't know. I got another fun fact. 
So the animatronic, one of the T-Rexes that they made, they gave it intentional scars on its face and uh, roughed up, like lost some of its teeth, some of it was broken and stuff, because it wanted to portray that this T-Rex had participated in the, made like the fighting rituals and dominance with other T-Rex in order to like claim on this female T-Rex and have the baby. Like that's how much attention to detail they did to this animatronic. I love it, that's a good one. I know, that's so cool. Okay, so I got one for you. So you know how the dinosaur is running through fake San Diego down the street and you see the the Japanese tourists and they're running and they're like, ah, yeah. and they start running. Well, what they're really saying, if you translate what they're saying when they're running from the T-Rex, it is, I love Japan to get away from this. Is that supposed to be for uh, like, uh, Godzilla? <laughs> That's Godzilla? Jap Japanese people have been like laughing at that shit for decades now, and I just now oh, got it translated. That is so. Yeah. I love these little like homages he did to the the big monster. Like I knew that he yeah. like loved King Kong, and that's why he did the he King. Does. I did not realize he did that for Godzilla. That's really cute. Yeah. That's really cute. So when you see it, and you, if I you don't like know what they're one. saying, just say, "I love Japan to get away from this." <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> Interactive drinking game. We have to add that in when you see it. They yell. You have to yell it out, and the last person to say it. You have to it, yell it out when you see drink. it. You have to drink. Oh, I love um, that one. Yeah. That one's so good. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, it's time for Z for the people. Uh, yes, sir. Lenny's revolution. <laughs> I'm going to pass the Z over to Lenny uh, for our Z for the people. <laughs> um, yeah, I have been honored this week to throw in one of my favorite charities out there. Uh, so in retrospect, this is all about, you know, helping an endangered species of some kind come back or be strong uh, within the environment that we live in now. I really super love the work of the IRF. It's the International Rhino Fund. They're a beautiful organization that has been funding and operating conservation programs for the last 25 years uh, all over the world. You can, uh, they have or their organization set up in India, in Java, in South Africa, in Vietnam, and Zimbabwe. They provide so much care, their operations keep rhinos alive, especially to protect them from being poached for, for their horns, uh, as well as helping them breed because since they've gotten so uh, eliminated from this earth, they haven't been able to find others to breed with. And because they're a very particular and peculiar breed of animal that they, you know, they, they're not just so easily uh, manipulated into being with another animal or they actually need to be cared for so this organization puts together a lot of help for the rhinoceros to just become stronger they've been working with white rhinos black rhinos the greater one-horned rhinos uh the javan rhinos the they're building those strengths of these animals so that we won't lose them because they are endangered. And if you guys can find it in your hearts to donate whatever you can, speak about it, talk about rhinos this week, 
people are, you know, focused on their own lives right now and we're all suffering, but we can't forget that there's suffering happening all over and these conservations um, are one of them because people aren't really focusing on um, anything besides their local politics at this point. So just take a peek, uh, donate, if, donate if you can, talk about them if you can, and spread the love uh, for the International Rhino Fund. Yeah, donate your time, donate your money. That was a good one. That was a good Z for the people. Hey, I'm just trying to, you know, get that revolution going about caring for the rhinos. <laughs> well, dinosaurs. I know our little baby rhino. They are they are little legit. Look they like do dinosaurs. legit look like dinosaurs. Well, that is Z for the people. Uh, yes, that is revolution. oh we made it we did it we did it we made it oh my god oh my goodness guys thank you so much for joining us thanks for drinking with me thank you for drinking with me and talking with me guys uh thank you so much for listening we really appreciate us uh we really appreciate us (laughs) i do appreciate us i I think we are amazing i do i appreciate you guys too i appreciate you zenobia Um, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You're probably listening to us on one of our many platforms, Spotify, uh, FM Radio, uh, FM Player, sorry, Amazon Music, uh, Flostin Paradise. Podcast Paradise. Podcast Paradise. Uh, Go ahead and hit us up on all of our social media accounts, you guys. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on TikTok. Zenobia's making some drinks with her (laughs) titties out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's the only reason why I watch videos guys um, I didn't realize it <laughs> I love it so check us out go ahead and shoot us an email at uh, lights camera cocktail no s get the s out of here at gmail.com send us your close encounters your movie suggestions and any really fun facts that we might have missed that you really want to talk about we're all ears we love talking about movies we're always talking about movies and television shows you know that's always fun too <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you so much uh, for joining us tonight and drinking with us tonight. And I hope you guys had fun. Mm, we made mm. it. We made it, girl. Oh, sequels month. We finished it. We hit them up with some good uh, sequels. If you don't oh, think part goodness. twos are good movies, I hope that we changed your mind this month. Because we brought out the big guns. I'm sure. But next month is going to be a brand yeah. new month. It's April. And we are doing Crush Month. Oh, my God. <laughs> which means that we are going to do movies with our favorite person in it. Yeah, our movie Crush Month. So you already know what my first movie is going to be. At least who is going to be in my first movie. <laughs> yep. But tell the people what we're watching next week. Uh, next week, we are watching another 90s movie, Bad Boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? A snap, bad ba, 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 bad da, ba, da, okay, so yes. <laughs> so yes, we're gonna be doing bad boys next month because my crush is Will Smith. Duh. Duh. <laughs> if you didn't know, <laughs> now you know. <laughs> Where have you been? <laughs> Where have you been? Where have you been? Because uh, I don't even know. You know, <laughs> I'm very excited to watch Bad Boys. Me too. Let's do this. Me too. So, um, we'll be back next week, you guys, for another episode 
of Lights, Camera, Cocktails. It's not a research expedition anymore. It's a rescue operation, and it's leaving right now. Right now. I love him. He's so serious. And I'm just like, a part of me is like, oh, that's Swoon. Oh, my God, he's total badass. Oh, my God, let's get this shit going because she's going to die. <laughs> she would have definitely died without him there. She would have definitely died without him there. I'm going to die with that. <laughs>